Knock Knock listeners, Alastair here. You've found your way home to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. These strange rituals sprout up all over the globe and every aspect of life. I'm here to dig up the roots, plundering folklore, mythology, and history in a quest to catalogue the dark, weird, and bizarre beliefs that govern our lives. And once I've considered their origins, I'll tell you a story showing why these superstitions keep so many people in their thrall. This week's ritual is familiar to anyone who's caught themselves talking a bit too optimistically about the future. Maybe you think you're up for that big promotion, or your significant other is about to pop the question, or you dumped your paycheck into some meme stocks that you're sure are going to the moon. But then you catch yourself, because as confident as you are, you don't want to jinx it. And maybe, just maybe, your hubris in saying the words out loud invited the powers that be to knock you down a peg or two. So what do you do? You find the nearest wooden object. Any table, door frame, or windowsill will do. And you knock on wood. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. In a moment, we'll tell the story of a boy who knocked on wood and the tree who loved him. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Knock on wood, or touch wood, as we say across the pond, belongs to my favorite genre of superstitions. It's a ritual an odd behavior we perform to prevent something bad from happening to us. In this case, it's usually to prevent a reversal in our current good fortune. Knocking on wood is particularly noteworthy for just how widespread it is. Today, it's practiced from the Americas to Turkey. For some, it is such a frequent practice that they've had to forego the wood altogether and settle for either knocking on their own heads or simply saying the words, knock on wood. But where does it come from? As with many of these beliefs, the origins of knocking on wood have been a matter of intense debate. The most popular theory pegs it as a holdover from the Celts, a group of Indo-European tribes that lived all around Europe from about the 2nd millennium BCE to the 1st century CE. The Celts weren't big writers, so their beliefs and traditions are clouded in mystery to this day. But what we have been able to piece together suggests a complex culture that was leagues away from the Roman and Christian cultures that would eventually supplant them. One thing that differentiated the Celts was their reverence of nature, and particularly their worship of trees. They believed that powerful spirits and gods resided inside of great trees. By placing their hands on them, they could evoke the protection of the spirits within. 
or if they had already received good fortune, they would touch the tree as a way of showing thanks. Another theory suggests pagan Europeans believed evil spirits would eavesdrop on them from time to time. If the spirits heard them boasting, they would become envious and conspire to undermine the speaker's aims. In this case, knocking on wood was a way of creating sound to scare the spirits off or cover up the speaker's words. We can't say for sure that these ancient practices evolved into the modern superstition of knocking on wood. What's clear is that for the people of ancient Europe, the natural world was full of spirits. And whether benign or malevolent, they were definitely the type of spirit you'd want on your side. As the character in today's story will soon find out. The tree had been there a long time, before the shopping malls or the superhighway, before anyone could remember. But the tree remembered. She had been an empress of trees once, the mother of a whole forest. The horned god Kernunos and the bear goddess Artio had walked beneath her branches, and both had shown deference to the tree, for the woods were hers and hers alone. She remembered when the first men arrived. Their priests, the druids, had an understanding of the wild things, and they knew her power instantly. In times of need, they knelt before her in supplication, placed their hands on her trunk, and hung offerings from her branches small birds and woven dolls and sometimes even the heads of their enemies. When war came, they raced off into battle, banging axes on wooden shields in a monotonous rhythm. They had no fear in their hearts, for they were the people of the wood and their guardian was with them. When they returned with faces painted in blood, they fell to their knees and touched their palms to her trunk in a show of thanks. At first, their requests were reasonable. When they wanted walls for their village or hulls for their ships, they would draw from the mature edges of the forest. It hurt the tree's heart to see her children felled, but she allowed it, for the people of her woods were her children too. But as time passed, the men's ambitions grew, and there came a day when they did not ask for permission or give thanks. They simply took. They carried off her forest piece by piece until only the tree remained. They left her standing, for some among them still remembered that she was once their guardian. And so the tree stood there, alone with her anger and grief, forgotten by her children, though she had not forgotten them. She watched them for a while longer saw their village spring up into a city of glistening steel and glass. But the hurt was too great, and she soon withdrew within herself and fell into a deep slumber. The tree did not know how long she slept, only that she was awakened some time later by the sound of someone knocking. It was a boy clambering about her lower branches, the tree watched him suspiciously, thinking that he might try to break one of them off or steal her fruit, but he soon climbed down and left, and the tree breathed a sigh of relief. But then he returned the next day, and the next. Each time he arrived, he would wrap his knuckles on her trunk before starting to climb. 
The tree did not know why he did this, and it puzzled her. And so, after several more visits, she asked him, What do you want, boy? Her voice startled the boy, and he fell, hurtling through the tree's branches until he slammed to the earth. He lay there, gasping for air and staring up at her in shock. The tree waited for him to catch his breath, and then she asked again, Why do you keep wrapping your knuckles on my trunk? You do it every time you visit, but I never know why. I'm sorry, squeaked the boy. Does it hurt? Don't be silly. It merely reminded me of something the old priests used to do. I thought you might be one of their offspring, but now I suspect that you are just foolish. The boy scrunched up his face in thought. I don't just knock on trees. I knock on all sorts of wooden things. My desk at school, the dinner table at home. My teacher says it's becoming a distraction and that we need to find a less disruptive outlet for my anxieties. But that doesn't answer why you do it, insisted the tree. The boy shrugged. Adults do it. I suspect I learnt it from them when I was too young to remember. My dad says it's to stop bad things from happening. And what bad things are you concerned about? The boy's face fell at that question, but on further pressing, he told her. From what the tree was able to gather, the boy had made enemies of another clan called Bullies, and they met regularly on a battlefield called Playground. The rules of war here were peculiar. The bullies would chase the other children around playground until they caught them, at which point the roles would reverse. But whenever the bullies caught the boy, they would throw him against the ground with extra force and stomp on his hands. The boy's only safeguard against the bullies was a simple wooden post at the end of playground, which the children called base, and which was supposed to protect anyone so long as they touched it but the boy had recently discovered the limits to Bass's power. He had been running from a company of bullies, winded and scared for his life. And to his great relief, he had made it just in the nick of time. Safe, he'd called out with giddy relief, but the bullies grabbed him anyway, threw him on the ground and stomped on his hands. When he arrived home, his father had shouted at him for breaking another pair of glasses they couldn't afford to replace. Well, I can tell you your mistake, said the tree when the boy finished. You were wise to invoke the protection of a guardian, but that wooden post didn't have the power to help you. Not all trees are dryads, you know, and some that are have gone to sleep and will never awaken. You need something a bit more supple. The boy looked thoughtful. Would you have protected me? He asked. As if I have nothing better to do. The tree snorted, though she could already feel herself softening to the idea. She wasn't sure why. Perhaps it was the care he showed when climbing through her branches, or the reverence in his face as he stared up at her now, But something about this boy reminded her of the old druids who she served so long ago. And in all honesty, she did have nothing better to do. All right, I'll tell you what, she said, 
just a bit haughtily so that he would know she was doing him a favor. Take one of my branches with you next time you go to playground. Just one, mind you. And when the bullies charge, you use that. But you'd better come back and thank me afterwards. You can leave your tree then, he asked. I don't need to, replied the tree. I just need to give you a bit of my power. Trust me, they won't know what hit them. She was right. When the boy returned the next day, he wrapped his knuckles on the tree's trunk like before. Thank you, he said. You were right. I don't think they'll be bothering me anymore. The boy came back almost every day after that. Each time, he would wrap his knuckles on her trunk and she would ask him what he wanted. Mostly, he just wanted to climb and play or to lie in her shade. But a few times, he wanted something more. When a girl at school started talking to him, the boy's anxiety flared up again. He was going to mess it up somehow, so the tree told him to bring the girl out to see her. He did the very next day. The tree stayed silent as they sat beneath her branches, talking and laughing for hours. The girl had brought a rolled-up leaf that she set aflame, and they took turns breathing through it. Its smell reminded the tree of the druid's incense, and for a moment, she felt like her old self again. After that, the girl came back with the boy many times, but mostly, he still came alone. And that was how the tree liked it. One day, the boy came back, and the tree could tell right away that something was wrong. His lip was bloodied, and a dark bruise encircled one of his eyes. She demanded to know what had happened. This story made about as much sense as the one about the bullies. The boy's father had found out about the leaf that smelled like incense and was not pleased about it. He had decided that the girl was a bad influence and had forbidden the boy from seeing her which led to some sort of skirmish, which led to the father deciding that the boy would be going away to something called a board school. The tree listened, and then was silent for some time. Will you be gone at board school long? she asked. Forever, said the boy. Unless you help me again? The tree was quiet again, but just for a moment. I will take care of it. All that I ask is that you come back and thank me afterwards. The boy looked relieved at that. He said goodbye and left, promising to return the next day. It had been many years since the tree had used any real power. It hadn't taken much to help the boy before, but now she dug deep, reaching into the soil with her roots. She sent a cry into the earth. If there are any still awake, hear me, answer me. The response came sooner than she expected. First one, then a second, then a dozen voices called back. The old forest might have been gone, but there were still trees in the world, even in the boy's city of steel and glass. They were awake now and eager to serve their empress. They would be her roots and her branches. All she had to do was concentrate, and she would hear what they heard, see what they saw, and know what they knew. It didn't take long to find the boy. She watched his house from a silver birch on the front lawn. Through the window, 
she saw him arguing with his father. A moment later, he came storming out the front door and ran off into the night. The tree watched him go, then turned her attention back to the house. The boy's father was moving around inside the kitchen, alone. There was an old vine along the eastern wall that had been allowed to grow unchecked for some time. It took just a little prodding to wake it. From there, the tree thought she might enter the house through a window on the second story, but the vine had an idea she liked even better. Its roots ran deep into the side of the house through layers of clay and stone. With their minds linked, the tree reached down until she felt cold metal. She squeezed and twisted until she felt the pipe burst and gas came hissing out. Her task complete, the tree returned to the silver birch on the front lawn. She watched the boy's father moving about inside the kitchen. She watched his surprise as the flames erupted from the stove. It took almost no time at all for the fire to spread through the house. As it reached the eastern wall, she felt the vines start to burn. She felt sorry for it, and more than a bit guilty, but she had made a promise. So she stayed and watched, even as the falling embers spread to the grass and then to the silver birch. It screamed in agony, which she felt too. Her heart ached for it, just as it had for the vine and for so many of her own children. They had been stolen from her one by one. But by some twist of fate, she had gained a new child. And this time, she would never let him go. Coming up, the tree grows tired of giving. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast, and I'm hosting the new limited series, Hollywood Scandals. We all know that Tinseltown is the land of glitz and glamour, but look closer past the allure of bright lights and red carpets. There, you'll find a more disturbing tale, one filled with tragedies and transgressions so damaging they've turned hopes and dreams into high-profile nightmares. Every Monday on this Spotify original, discover the real-life dramas of some of entertainment's biggest names. From the mysterious drowning of Natalie Wood and the murder trials of comedian Fatty Arbuckle to the star clients of Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss. Each episode of Hollywood Scandals has been curated from shows across the ParCast network, covering over a century's worth of controversies, from the silent era into the digital age. Fame and fortune may be fleeting, but scandals, they stand the test of time. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Hollywood Scandals. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. The tree was confused. She'd helped the boy several times in the past, and he'd always come back to thank her. That was part of why she liked him so much, and why she decided to help him again when his father threatened to send him away to the board school. The tree had taken care of that problem. The boy's father would never send him anywhere again. But the boy had not returned. At first, she brushed it off. Something was keeping him away. Funeral arrangements, perhaps. 
The old druids had buried their dead in spectacular fashion, and the tree expected the boy's clan was no different. So she waited patiently, through wind and rain, until she grew sick with worry. Her leaves withered and formed white blotches, and insects came to nest in her knots and hollows. Slowly, the tree ran out of excuses for the boy, until she was left with only one possible explanation. He had forgotten her. But she was wrong. Where have you been? She demanded when she saw the boy standing before her. He looked different than before. A thick, dark beard covered his once cherubic face, but his eyes were the same as they'd ever been, full of fear and reverent wonder. And something new, a raw, confused desperation. He looked around nervously, as if worried that someone might be watching, and then he began to speak. I'm sorry I was away for so long. After the fire, I was sent to live with my grandparents, and then university. I understand completely. That must have been very far from here, said the tree. Her anger had dissipated in an instant. It didn't matter how long the boy had been away, the fact that he had returned at all was enough to make her happy. Not that far, actually, said the boy. The truth is, I didn't want to see you. My therapist told me you weren't real, that you were a friend I'd imagined when I didn't have any, and I believed them. I wanted to believe them. And now? And now, I'm not sure it matters. One thing I did figure out is that I need to move past this one way or another. If you're real, then I really did kill my father. If not, then I suppose all the therapy was a waste because I can still hear you. Either way, I'm going to put an end to it today. What are you talking about? The tree demanded, but the boy was already stooping over the large duffel bag he'd brought with him. When he straightened up, he was holding an axe with a long wooden handle and a shiny silver head. Before she knew what was happening, the boy raced forward and swung the axe, burying the head in her trunk. He pulled it free and reared back to swing again. The tree was too shocked to respond. Each blow of the axe sent waves of excruciating pain through her trunk. It spread to the tips of her branches all the way down to the ends of her roots. Every instinct told her to summon her powers to protect herself, but something caused her to hold back. As furious as she was, she could not hurt the boy. The tree started to laugh. <laughs> That's it, boy. Put your back into it. I knew you couldn't stay away as long as I had more to give. So take it all now and let's be done with it. It took him most of the day to cut through the massive trunk. But when the boy finished, the tree lay in a ruined pile. He took only a single branch and left the axe buried in the center of her stump. And once again, the tree was alone, if you could call her a tree anymore, for she was really just a stump now. Soon someone came and took away the axe and the giant fallen trunk, though not before a good deal of the wood rotted away. 
She thought that that was how she would continue on forever, a lonely stump in an empty field. But one day, many years later, she heard the familiar knock. The boy was back. His beard was longer and the hair on the top of his head a good deal thinner, but the eyes were the same. Only now they seemed tired. You again, said the tree. I came back to say, to say that I'm sorry about last time. I was going through some things and it wasn't right. Also, I wanted to thank you for everything you did for me back when I was a boy. You were the only one there for me at a time when I really needed it. Spit it out. What do you want? So the boy told her everything that had happened to him. Most of the details had little meaning to the tree. He'd gone and had a family, tried his hands at one business after another. A few had been moderately successful, but then they needed a new car, and his youngest needed braces, and his eldest needed a better school. No matter how much the boy worked, it seemed that they always had less than they needed. I just want things to be easier, he said as he finished his explanation. You want money? (laughs) laughed the tree. Tell me, why on earth would I help you now, after everything you took from me? The boy looked sheepish. I just thought I had to ask. You were always there for me before, but I understand. Then he turned to shuffle off the way he'd come. He only made it a few steps when the tree called out. Wait! She hated herself for doing it, but she couldn't help it. She reached into the earth and sent out her signal and within moments had a reply. You want to head south from here, she told him. Directly south. Two thirds of the way between this spot and the coast, you'll find an apple orchard. I'm going to make my fortune selling apples, asked the boy. Let me finish. Beneath the apple orchard, deep, deep in the earth, there is a cavern filled with black oil. That, I expect, should give you more than enough. The boy was satisfied. He put his hand against the tree's stump and thanked her, and then he left. The next time he returned, he was barely recognizable. His clothes looked far more expensive than before, though his head was entirely bald and his face was lined with wrinkles. His eyes looked a bit wearier but were otherwise unchanged. I'm dying, said the boy, and immediately wrapped his knuckles against the stump. That's what my doctors tell me anyway. They've tried their best, of course, but there's nothing they could do. I thought, well, I know it sounds silly, but... I thought if anyone could do something about it, it would be you. The boy waited for a response, but the tree was silent. I know you can hear me. You're just pretending because you're upset. Well, you've got the right to be after how I treated you. But I really need you now. I don't want to die. Won't you help me? Still, the tree was silent. The boy's expression grew sour. 
With some effort, he walked over the stump and sat down on it. Fine, he growled. Be stubborn. But I'm not leaving until you give me what I want. The boy was true to his word. They found him there, hunched over on the old stump, as still as the tree had ever been. His family remarked that he looked so much more peaceful and happy there than he had ever been in life. So serene, in fact, that they decided to bury him on that very spot. The mourners watched as the dark oak coffin was lowered into the ground and covered in earth. They paid their respects and then slowly drifted away, leaving the boy alone with the tree. And deep within the earth, the tree stirred. Her roots reached out to curl around the coffin, and with what strength she had left, she called out. And the boy's eyes opened. What's going on? He asked in a voice still groggy with sleep. Where am I? Why is it so dark? I gave you what you asked for, said the tree. Now, I am very old and very tired, so if you wouldn't mind keeping it down, I'm going to sleep. No! yelled the boy and rapped his knuckles hard against the lid of the coffin. You can't go to sleep yet, not until you let me out of here. He thrashed and he shouted and he knocked and knocked and knocked on the wooden coffin, but no one heard. No one but the tree, that is. And she had already given him everything she had to offer. Today's story was inspired by a couple of sources. Our research into Celtic tree worship, the ancient Greeks' belief in tree spirits called dryads, and the giving tree, a classic children's story by the writer Shel Silverstein. We also took a touch of inspiration from a theory by folklorist Steve Roud. He argued that knocking on wood started as a children's game similar to tag that was popular in Britain in the 19th century called Tiggy Touch Wood. And there are still other possible origins. Alternative theories claim that it comes from medieval Christians who sold and bought relics thought to be pieces of the true cross or from a German drinking ritual in which tavern-goers knock on oak tables when someone new joins the table for good luck because the devil was thought to be unable to touch oak. Of course, it's also possible that these practices developed as Christianizations of pre-existing rituals. Still, for the most popular and pervasive theory, we return to the ancient Celts and their worship of trees. If this is the true origin, then it's a bit ironic that this odd little ritual has survived to the modern day, a time when respect of nature is in alarmingly short supply. Trees are critical to our planet's health, but since 1990 alone, we've lost over 500,000 square miles of forest, an area larger than all of South Africa. Deforestation is considered the second largest source of greenhouse gas emissions, while over half of the tree species that can only be found in Europe are threatened by extinction. The good news is, 
It isn't too late to reduce or avoid the worst effects of climate change. For instance, new trees can be grown. Right now, we're just cutting them down a whole lot faster than we're planting them. So perhaps it's time we borrow some wisdom from the Celts. We can knock on wood as often as we like, but our planet will only take so much. This isn't a children's story. Disrespect her enough, and sooner or later, Mother Nature will knock back. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Superstitions was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Greg Castro, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Brian Petrus. I'm Alastair Murden. Hey there, Carter again. Before you go, remember to check out my new podcast limited series, Hollywood Scandals. In anticipation of the Oscars, we're unearthing some of the most sordid controversies in showbiz history. Tune in every Monday. Follow Hollywood Scandals free only on Spotify. <laughs>